All right, let's get to it. Father, I want to thank you for the love that you pour out on us. The many gifts. I thank you for the gifts that we, maybe we don't see so easily. But we know that all good things come from you, Lord. Father, I pray that this morning the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. All right. First John 5. I told you we were getting out of four. Here we go. First John 5, 1 through 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, the reason why we kind of left chapter 4 a little bit early, it wasn't because it wasn't something I want, didn't want to preach on. It was because, man, we, we, we beat that dog with a stick over and over again. And what John is talking about is loving the brothers, loving the sisters, loving the church, loving God, and how that all kind of intermingles with each other. When we love God, we love the church. When we love the church, we love, we love God. And what I mean by church is, is the brothers and the sisters in the church. And so uh, since we've really kind of... Um, unpack that over many, many weeks, I thought it well of us to now join or jump into chapter five. This is actually the last chapter of John's letter. And I'm hoping and praying, and I pray that you guys would join me in this prayer, that we can finish this letter by the end of the year. Um, Actually, we probably won't because Advent comes and I have a whole other idea for that. So we'll finish this by March of next year. We can pray along those lines. Um, But here we see John is continuing to kind of lay out before us What's what the characteristics, what being a Christian, what being a Jesus follower, what it looks like. And, and it, what, it, what he talks about here is everyone who believes in Jesus, that he is the Christ, is, is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. So if we love God, we love Jesus. When we love Jesus, we love God. It's kind of a package deal. And then it talks about how this is how we know that we love the children of God, how we love each other. By loving God and carrying out his commands. Uh-oh. He mentions commands. Carrying out his commands. Now, I know the word isn't in there, but I'm just going to paraphrase and say that what he's calling us to is this idea of obey. We have to obey. We have to carry out the commands of God, the rules of God, the law of God. And, and it's all wrapped up in this whole idea of, of loving each other, loving Jesus, loving God. This is the way this is all expressed. That we follow the rules. Uh-oh. You know, we don't like rules. Uh, we, we don't like commands. We, I mean, not in, at least in our culture. Um, And I think it's part of our human nature that we don't like rules. And here's how I know. I will give you a very simple uh, example of this. This is how I am utmost sure that we don't like it. The majority of us in here, I'm going to say a very high majority, 
really do believe. Maybe you don't believe, but you live by believing that the speed limit is really a suggestion. And that, you know, a couple over, you know, and and you know that on 84, you can do 70 because the cops give you that five mile an hour. So speed limits, speed limits are really a suggestion, not really a rule to be followed. And then you can kind of unpack that and just let the tentacles fly. We don't like rules. We don't like commands. They make us kind of uncomfortable. And yet here, he's making a pretty big claim. How do we know that we love each other? By carrying out God's commands. In fact, this is love for God to keep God's commands. We are to love him. We keep his commands. See, this command thing, this following thing, is not from a place of rote, but it is the expression of our love for him. We follow God. We obey God because we love him. How do we love him? We do what he asks us to do. We enter into the rhythms and the harmonies that he brings us in the scriptures. We follow the revelation of how he has revealed himself to us. And then he's going to kind of connect this whole thing in with verse 4 and 5. He says, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? It's those who believe that Jesus is the Christ. Those who believe that Jesus is the Son. And so he's kind of, this whole five verses that he's talking about, he's talking about the commands of God, the church, his people, keeping God's commands. And now this topic, man, this has divided the church for centuries. This has has come to be a real stumbling block for many a person, many men and women. How do we, as Jesus followers, under grace, reconcile grace to obedience to the commands of God? It's it's, it's a worthy question to ask ourselves. It's it's a worthy thing to, to really wrestle with. Because if if you if you go on to the to the right side of the pendulum. And you swing all the way over here. There are people, there are churches that will keep the letter of the law to the letter. I mean, to their own letter because nobody can really keep the letter of the law. And and they try to do it. They try to make sure they obey all the rules, follow all the rules, make sure all the commands are nice and tidy. We got to get in line. And that becomes salvation. That becomes the evidence of salvation. The focus becomes on rule keeping. That becomes the focus of life. And what that is, is legalism. What that becomes is legalistic. Becoming a behavior-centric, legalistic community puts us under bondage of the enemy. Could you imagine? Can you imagine doing something for God, trying to do something for God in the name of God, And that very thing puts you under the spirits that is not of God. In fact, there have been letters in the Bible that have been written. Hebrews, Galatians, parts of Romans that talk about this legalistic spirit and how it sucks the life out of people. And unfortunately, that's the way some will follow or try to keep the commands of the Lord. And then the pendulum can swing all the way back over to the left. And we talked about this briefly last week where... Where it becomes just the commands and the law of God, they become irrelevant to people. 
that we are under grace, not the law, which is true. And that we have freedom in grace, which, which is very true. But the problem is when it gets all the way over here is that the things of God, the commands of God, the rhythms of God are no longer relevant to our lives. And so I get to live exactly the way I want to live and do the things that I want to do and not necessarily care about anybody else or anything else as long as I'm not hurting anyone. And therein lies another problem. That we don't get to do whatever we want. If you are under grace, the desire of your heart is to press into God, not live your life outside of Him, outside of His rhythms, outside of His harmonies. And so people on this side become lazy in the things of God. And they live however they want. But John is a good pastor. I think, he, I think almost awesome. So him and I, we, we share attributes. Someday I'm going to write a book too, and you're all going to have to buy it because you go here. But John is a good pastor. He is going to unpack for us this idea, this truth that as Jesus followers, we do have a relationship to the commands of God. We do have this relationship with the commands of God. I mean, think about the Ten Commandments. The, 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 the social ones, let's call them. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't covet. Keep the Sabbath. Those weren't written for Christians. Those weren't even written just for the Jews. That's written for humanity. That's written for all people. It's a good idea not to kill people. I'm just throwing it out there. It's a good idea not to steal stuff. Again, I'll just toss that out. You can talk about it over lunch. It's a good idea to have a Sabbath day of rest. God has written these for the world, not just for the church. And this being a practical letter that he is writing. Remember, he is writing to the church. He wants to encourage the church. He wants to build the church up. He wants to make them stronger. He is going to speak to us about the commands of God. And it's a very, this idea of law or, or obedience to the law, it's a great determining factor between the Jesus follower and those who f would not follow Jesus. It's, it kind of shows where their hearts are. And I would say in the church, how we deal with God's commands shows us where our heart is too. Now, for those who choose not to follow Christ, we know that the law of God, the laws of God, the commands of God are a weight and they're a burden and they're hard and they're difficult and it just seems to suck all the fun out of life. What do you mean I can't do what I want to do when I want to do it just for me? And so there's this, there's this burden and those who don't follow Jesus would even say that, that they don't like God because God puts all these shoulds and should nots on their lives. And then they, it, again, they, they just can't have any fun. There's no freedom in Christianity. There's no freedom in this idea of following God. So God's rules are dumb and I'm not going to follow them because they're just way too weighty. But not so for those who would follow Jesus. It, it should be a different posture because he says here, and I, we can testify to this, that they're not a burden. It's not a heavy weight to follow God. For those who love God, listen to me now, for those who will love God will follow him. 
For those that love God will obey the commands of the Lord. Not from a place to earn his love. Not from a place to earn your salvation. Not from a place of fear where, oh my goodness, if I don't get this right, he's going to punish me. He's going to make me lose my job. My kids are going to get sick. Our, our, the, you know, the septic system's going to back up. That's not why we follow God. That's not why we follow the commands. We do it from a desire, a heart felt desire to express love to the one we love. That we would express love to the one we love. And so it's worth the question, what say you, church? How do you feel about the commands of the Lord? Is this journey with Jesus just some big burden on you? Is it something that you feel like you're forced into because your family's always done it this way and this is the way you should do it? Do, do, your, do, do you make your attempts at following the, the commands of the Lord because you're afraid to go to hell? That's not what God wants. It's not what He wants. He wants an ever increasing desire in our hearts to obey him from a place of love and joy. The commands of the Lord are not a burden. The commands of the Lord are not a burden. And the way we answer this question in, our, in ourselves shows us where our heart is. Verse 4, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. So he goes right from, in fact, this is the love of God to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For, which kind of connects, I'm not a grammar dude, but I'm thinking. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. So maybe let's start with this as we unpack this. What's the world? Well, it gives us a definition in chapter 2 we looked at. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Those are, those are parts of, of what the world is. And he says there, he goes, don't fall in love with the world. And now he tells us over here that we have overcome the world. Those three simple things, the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Though they're very simplistic in their approach, but they are very deep with what the world seems to be, thinks are important. And we as Jesus followers, we are going to be in flux with the world. Maybe I'll say it this way. We as Jesus followers, we are going to be in contention with the world. Because the world is everything that's going to pull us away from the things of God. The world is everything that's going to take our, our focus off the things of God, off the commands of God. The world calls into question God's rhythm, God's harmony, God's commands, and wants us to believe that they're some dumb, superstitious, archaic way of thinking. And that we have progressed beyond that now, and we don't need those things anymore. But not for the church, not for the children of God, not for those who would love him. Scripture tells us that we don't fight the world. We don't fight it. It doesn't come at us in flesh and blood. That our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers of this dark world. Against spiritual evils. Now, I don't want to freak you out, but that freaks me out a little bit. There are spiritual evils that are attacking people in our church. And if you don't think so, 
you're wrong. This is our fight. The world is everything that will come against the Lord our God and tell us that that he is not worth following, that his commands are not worth uh, obeying. And so, you know, we individually, we as a church, we have been called to glorify God. Uh, We have been created to glorify God with our lives. Uh, The Westminster Catechism says it this way, that the chief end of man is to glorify God and love him, or and, uh, I'm sorry, enjoy him forever. We have been created to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And, and not in some oppressive, slave-like way that he is a puppeteer pulling our strings, making sure that we just do all of these things because he's up there laughing, going, ah, oh, look at how funny they are. Look at how I can make them dance. That's not the God that we serve. But his glory is our joy. Our joy is his glory. This is what he invites us into. This is who we are, church. This is the invitation. And anything and everything that will pull us from glorifying him and enjoying him forever is of the world. And it wants our attention and it will beat us down for its, our attention for it. Because if it can just get us away from looking at God, if the enemy can't take away your salvation, he will take away your focus and make you irrelevant for the kingdom. Now here's the rub. There's always a rub. There have been many a Christian. There have been many a Christian who say that they've overcome the world. Because... They have stopped or started certain behaviors. You know, I don't watch those movies, and I don't listen to that music, and I don't, I don't drink those drinks, and I don't use that language. And I go to church, and, and I go to a Bible study, and I read the Bible. And sometimes I give money to the homeless and poor, but sometimes I don't, but, but, but I try. If we become prideful in our behavior, if we become prideful in the things that we believe that we have accomplished, then I would say we're as much of the world as the housewives of L.A. or New York or New Orleans. Is there one for New Orleans? I think I saw one for the Amish coming out. That should be a good one. Jersey. The world is everything that stands between us and God. Even spiritual arrogance even religious arrogance and it's going to offer us so many temptations so many distractions to just kind of to kind of move us away you know that like this whole you deserve to be happy you deserve all kinds of good things you deserve to have that thing and to do that thing it's okay everybody else is doing it just just as long as you're not hurting anyone else but yet it pulls us away from the Lord. His commands are not a burden. See, the handcuffs, the handcuffs that the enemy puts on us, the world puts on us, to keep us oppressed, they're made of gold and decorated with diamonds, but they keep us in bondage all the same. And so the worldly 
outlook, the worldly mentality, worldly wisdom, and it poses God, what the world puts its faith in, how understanding comes into play, intellectualism, those things of the world, pulls us away from God. Let's discredit the cross. Let's, let's, uh, let's disregard the reason that Jesus came and died on the cross. And that whole Bible thing, that gospel thing, like the innocent guy, he gets killed for all the guilty people. That just doesn't make good philosophical sense. And so let's just kind of move that off to the side and let's just do our own things. And so the world is going to discredit the gospel, discredit God, because it doesn't make sense. It's, it's foolishness to those who are perishing, the word tells us. You know, I, I, use, I don't like to use persecution um, in our cultural setting because I don't believe we as a church are persecuted. Uh, there, are, there are Christians today that are being killed because they're Christian. And, and so I don't believe that we're persecuted. But, you know, we can get picked on a little bit. If you hold a biblical view of life and of, of purpose and eternity, then, then you can get picked on. You can get, you know, people make fun of you. We see it in our jobs. We see it in our schools. We see it uh, in the news. We see it on in, in TV shows. We see it. Uh, Ned Flanders, really? They couldn't have had a, a, a cooler Christian on that show? Anyway, um, and we see it in, in social media. I mean, everybody, I think, on Facebook, if you're on Facebook, I think you have that one person that always likes to post that article that look, makes Christians look like weenies. I mean, I got a few of them, and I kind of like to read them because I want to know what the culture says about us, and <laughs> some of it's true, unfortunately. But, but the other stuff, it, it's not. And the world is going to continually pull us away from the things of God. And see, that's the external part of it. But see, there's, there's an internal part of this whole idea of world. And it's the part that, that lives inside of me, the part, the, the struggle that takes place in me. Romans 8 talks about that the mind, is, the, the mind that is governed by the flesh is hostile towards God. It, can't, it doesn't submit to God's law. In fact, it can't. And so that's the, that's the inward um, influence of the world on me. The mind. My mind of flesh. My mind of, of myself. It's here. It's now. I, I see it. I recognize it. It's alive and unfortunately well in me. And if I'm giving into the things of my flesh, if I'm giving into the things of, of, of myself, then I am not glorifying God. And if I am not bringing glory to God, then, then I'm not enjoying Him. Because His goal, His desire, His invitation to me is to enjoy Him forever. And my enjoyment of Him brings Him the most glory. His commands are not burdensome. And so what does the world inside me look like? Well, John said, the world is the lust of the eyes. Lust of the flesh, pride of life. When we become prideful in our physical appearance, in, 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 in my physical appearance, I mean, come on, it's hard not to, right? I mean, how many selfies do I really need of myself standing in the bathroom mirror? Pride in my intellectual prowess. Pride in my success. Pride goes against the very thing, the very nature of God. Satan's sin was a sin of pride. Do I have a desire to be praised? 
Does my ego need to be stroked? Do I hate criticism? And I don't want to listen to it because how dare you criticize me? I'm better than you. The pride of life. My self-reliance. I'm taught to be self-reliant. I got to look out for number one. I got to take care of myself and those who belong to me. But I will tell you this, the more self-reliant we become, the less reliant we become on God and the less we trust God. And the more self-reliant I become, the less I will enjoy the Lord. And the less I enjoy Him, the less glory my life brings to Him. My self-centered ambitions, I want. I want. I want to climb up. I want to climb the, the corporate ladder or whatever ladder you're part of. I want to be successful. I deserve to be successful. I work harder than those people work. I can do their job with my, I can do their job blindfolded. I deserve the raise. I deserve the promotion. I deserve the corner office. And then we live this life of, I know that there's needs out there, but, and I'm willing to give to those needs. But as long as, I'm not made uncomfortable. As long as I get the things that I really believe I deserve, as long as I get the things that I want, then I'm good with giving a little that way. A little time, a little money, a little this, a little that. The pride of life. And out of that pride of life comes envy and jealousy and coveting and anger. It's a dirty, dirty beast. Look at what Paul would write to, to the Galatians. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. I love that word, debauchery. It's got weight. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, the pride of life. And all of those things are active and alive in me, except for the orgy thing. I think I'm good. It's there. It's, come on, man. I still deal with my flesh. I still deal with those lusts in my heart, my desires, my ambitions. You know, when that thought pops into my head, maybe you, maybe you get a thought, those thoughts that pop into your head. You know, the ones that just seem so... Uh, it's the world attacking. It's the world vying for your attention. It's the enemy wanting to pull you away from the things of the Lord. It's myself. It's my flesh. It's the battle that rages within me. And then, and then I, have, I have to go here because, I mean, at least in me, I battle with my own laziness. And you know, I seem to be the laziest in the things of the Lord. I seem to be the laziest in the things that God calls me to. And, and not necessarily, yeah, okay, maybe you know, I have a few unfinished projects in the house. But I mean, 
Most of us do, right? But it seems that I'm the laziest in the things of the Lord. When I read the Bible, I spend time in prayer, speaking into somebody's life who needs an encouraging word or word from God. I'll tell you what, I don't make excuses when The Walking Dead comes on. I am there. I do think that's educational TV because it's going to teach us when the zombies do come, we'll know how to respond. But that's, it's just me. And, and, and I read the Wall Street Journal every day. Every, I don't miss a day. And like I said, it's updated every 30 minutes or so. So maybe I read it a couple times a day. But doesn't it feel like a chore sometimes to read the Bible? Doesn't it feel like a chore sometimes to get quiet before the Lord in prayer? Doesn't it feel like a chore sometimes to come out to our time of community prayer because you just don't feel good or, or it's cold out or it's too hot out or uh, the walking dead is on? I wrestle with my own laziness in the things of the Lord. You know next Friday night I'm going to be there early for sushi night with the guys. <laughs> will will too. But yet when it comes to the things of the Lord, I'm not so diligent in keeping time. As I was writing this, I started to kind of get depressed on all this stuff. I'm like, this is a feel-good message right here, huh? Woohoo! But I want to tell you something. All this world stuff that's kind of pushing and pulling and poking at us and, and, and vying for our attention and sometimes coming at us with hostility and moving us aside. Here's what the scripture says. Go back to uh, the last one, Will. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Everyone born of God overcomes all of that stuff that we just talked about. Everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. We have victory. All of those things that are pulling at us, all of myself, all of my flesh, all of the things that are hovering around us, we, the church, the followers of Jesus Christ, we have overcome the world. Not in our own strength, not in our own doing, not because we're awesome people, but because we have the power of the living God through the Holy Spirit, indwelling in us. That is our strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I have overcome the world. All of the temptations, all of the distractions, all of the, the attacks, we have overcome the world. That's the gospel. It's the good news. It's the joy of, of, of what it means to walk with Christ. It's the joy of our salvation. It's the joy that God invites us into to enjoy forever. And there's a few things going on with this whole uh, overcoming the world thing. You, you see, it's, it's done. It's complete. It's a moment in time. Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead. We stand in that victory. And yet, 
sometimes these things still come at me and I still get those thoughts and I still have those temptations. Yes, but we are overcoming the world inch by inch, bit by bit, by the empowering of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can stand in victory. We can take that victory lap, lap, walk that victory march. We have overcome the world today. In this very moment, we have overcome Not in our strength, but in the strength of the Lord our God. Christ overcame the world. He is in us. We are in him. We stand victorious, church. We stand victorious. One day we will be presented before him without blemish, without fault. And we will be with him in glory all of our days for eternity. 1 Corinthians 1, Paul writes that Jesus is our wisdom and our righteousness and our holiness and our redemption. And we walk in those every day, deeper and deeper and deeper. And yes, we don't get it right and we're not perfect. And we make mistakes and we fall flat on our face. But the cross picks us back up and invites us to walk in grace for those who love God. For those who receive that grace, follow him. And it's not a burden, it's joy. We dwell in the victory of Christ. And so it doesn't matter. Let me rephrase that. Your sin is forgivable. In fact, it's God's desire to forgive your sin. And that's part of the victory that we have. That's part of the overcoming of the world that we have. That we, sinners, have been forgiven by the cross of Christ. Brother Lawrence said that when he would fall, that he would... He would go to the Lord and and pray, I can do no better without you. Please forgive my fall and fix my mistake. And then it says that he would move on. That's the assurance of the victory that we have. That's the assurance that we have overcome the world. We don't walk in perfection. God knows we don't walk in perfection. We walk in grace. We walk in love, his love for us, our love for him. And then the things and the ways of God are not a burden, but they bring joy and they bring light and they bring life. Church, we are invited to walk in deeper intimacies of holiness and righteousness and redemption and victory because we have a blessed Savior who invites us there, not just with words, but by the spilling of his own blood. That is the good news. That is our victory. The commands of God are not burdensome. And if the world is coming at you, plant your feet firmly in the gospel. That is our strength. That is our power. That is our Father, we thank you for the promise that you've given us and the strength that you've given us to stand face to face with the enemy and say no. 
you do not win. Thank you for the light of Christ that comes into our hearts, that pushes back the darkness, that heals our brokenness, that forgives our sin. Thank you for the love that you've poured out upon us. Now, Lord, pull us, grab a hold of us, wrap us in your arms that we may not only experience that for ourselves, but we would just pass that on. And may we always remember, grace is not license. Grace is a gift. We come before you as your church in confidence and and assurance because of Jesus Christ. Amen. I love you guys. I will see you next week.